Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. Joining me is my co-host, the Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings Magazine, Bill Hamlet. Hi, Bill. Hey, Ward. We're in Studio D today. Studio D, which we seldom use, um, but it's our VIP studio. And today we're joined by uh, two in-studio guests, which I think is unprecedented. We've never had... First time we've done that. Yeah. 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 Uh, Before we uh, get to the... The guests, I want to thank our listeners. We just got our uh, statistics uh, back uh, for January and February for the podcast, and uh, the number of listeners is up 260% from last year at this time. Uh, so the podcast continues to grow. So thanks to our listeners. And if you like us, tell a friend, uh, post us on social media, get the word out. And uh, really, thank you very much. Can't, can't do it without you. And we're very excited that this you know, thing that we started off on the side of Ward's desk uh, a little Literally, over a year ago yeah. has uh, continued to, to grow. So yeah, it's, it's great, great, news. great data, and uh, we're very happy to uh, to be reaching the people with uh, important topics and great guests. Yeah. So today, uh, in studio, two active-duty Navy captains, uh, both information warfare community officers, uh, and we're going to continue a debate that's been happening in the pages of proceedings for the last, well, really a couple of years uh, but specifically in the last couple of months, we published in January uh, an article by an information warfare captain, uh, Tony Butera, uh, that um, uh, said information warfare, Navy information warfare needs more resources and command at sea. And then a few weeks after that, we published uh, one of our guests today, uh, Captain Henry Stevenson, uh, who wrote Navy Information Warfare, A Decade of Indulging a False Analogy. Uh, so our guests today are um, Captain Henry Stevenson, who's a Navy uh, intelligence officer and information warfare uh, community officer. He is the current J-2 at Transcom. His previous job was uh, Director of Intelligence at uh, Fifth Fleet uh, Naval Forces Central Command. And our other guest is Captain uh, Cliff Bean, who is the Executive Assistant to Vice Admiral Kohler, the OPNAV N2-N6. And Cliff is an Information Warfare Community Officer and uh, a Cryptologic Officer by trade. Uh, so we're going to have a bit of a point-counterpoint here. Uh, so well, but also on background, explain why Cliff is here, right? Because his boss asked for, quote-unquote, equal time. Yeah, right, right. right. So we okay. had a discussion at West uh, with Admiral Kohler. Uh, so, uh, Henry, your your article uh, stirred up some controversy within the community, which is uh, what happens when you write in proceedings. That's what happens, and this is this is the open forum at work. There's supposed to be a debate. Proceedings doesn't take you know we don't have a dog in the fight. Uh, you know we published uh, Tony Butera's piece, we published your piece. We're having both both sides on the the podcast today. Uh, but um, uh, I give credit to Admiral Kohler because, you know, we said, hey, we'd like to have you on the podcast. Uh, Admiral Kohler heard about that and said, hey, can we equal time? Uh, and so Cliff's here to present the, the other side of the argument. And so, you know, this is professional discourse at its best. Uh, so what I'd like to do is uh, for maybe for some of our uh, listeners who haven't read these pieces, um, it, Henry, if you would start off just by giving us a quick, you know, two minutes, a little bit about your your article that was published as a Proceedings Today piece, uh, and then we'll get into the point-counterpoint. Great. Sure. Well, uh, thanks for the invitation. First of all, I really appreciate it. And, and Cliff, thanks for coming uh, on, on relatively short notice. So, yeah, I wrote the piece in response to Tony's article um, earlier um, where he you know, advocated uh, an idea that, that is actually, I think, pretty common throughout the IW community. Um, some people support it. Some others don't. Um, that uh, that the IW community 
officers sort of transition to, uh, you know, unrestricted line status for, for all intents and purposes. And um, in so doing that, be eligible to command, uh, you know, maneuver forces at sea, which is um, a pretty radical departure from the, the origin of these communities from the sort of the restricted line routes where they're, they're focused on pretty narrow and, uh, and specialties. The, the four communities that are that now comprise the information warfare community are? So in intelligence, cryptology, uh, meteorology slash oceanography, and then the communications and IT, uh, and then sometimes the space cadre is listed in, in there as well as part of the community. And, and when did that happen? When was that reorg? So that, that occurred in 2009 with the formation of the Information Dominance Corps, uh, and then that was changed in uh, 2016 to the Information Warfare Community. Okay. Yeah. Um, so my contention in the article is that this uh, this idea, this trajectory – stems from a sustained period of some some fairly exuberant thinking on information warfare uh, that, in my view, doesn't have a real strong connection to the realities of naval warfare and instead, you know, seems to uh, suit, you know, the bureaucratic interests of a, of a new entity, an OPNAV N2N6, which has every right to, uh, you know, establish itself as a new organization. Um, but it, it, it seemed like there were, there were choices being made <clears throat> that, you know, again, weren't really well grounded in how these different information-heavy activities uh, fit into naval warfare. I also think the Navy got caught up in a little bit of hype about how much IT has really, uh, you know, changed the nature of, uh, of warfare. You know, the first critical point I'd make is that the IW community was an, ad an administrative construction. It brought together um, four pretty disparate communities um, that I think are actually quite different from each other and what they do uh, out sea and at, at sea in the operational environment. And while they're they're all vitally important to naval warfare, I think they're they're fundamentally different in their nature from the functions of maneuver forces that, for the most part, we support. Um, so, so what is that difference? I think it's worth kind of laying that out at the outset. Uh, in short, you know, I'd contend that air surface and subsurface forces are instruments of combat. Um, the vast majority of the capabilities that we call information warfare are not instruments of combat. Their purpose is to enable those instruments. And to use a phrase that has kind of fallen out of fashion recently, um, you know, if the instruments of combat are forces, the enablers are force multipliers. Um, it turns out, you know, that there's a pretty important distinction between those two categories of functions in terms of how you generate those capabilities and integrate them into warfighting. If you separate them, you, you, you can benefit from a division of labor where you have different people that are kind of focused on doing different types of things. I mean, you got some people that are sort of more focused on the informational side of a warfighting decision loop, and you got some people that kind of specialize on the decisional side of a warfighting decision loop. Although, as the article points out, IW festivals make all kinds of consequential decisions. It's just that those decisions are um, sort of a means toward the end of providing information superiority to the warfighting decision maker. Um, now, I have to caveat that by saying that that's not true for everything that we bundle within the IW community. There, there, there is, you know, a fairly narrow, I'd say, uh, set of activities focused on things, you could, you know, offensive cyber, active electronic attack, those kind of things, which, you know, you can model pretty accurately as having an effect on the adversary. And so you could think of those as, um, you know, having much in common functionally with the maneuver elements of warfighting. But I think we've made a mistake when we've tried to take that description and apply it to a pretty wide range of activities. Again, I'm thinking mainly of intelligence, traditional cryptology, communications, which, which are mainly supportive uh, in nature. The, the metaphor I used in, in, the, in the 
the piece was that if you think of the the war fighting forces, you know, surface air, subsurfaces, pillars, a lot of what IW is, is is horizontal support. It's vitally important for the integrity of the of that structure, but it's designed differently and it's employed differently than a pillar. Um, so what so what are the consequences of of maybe glossing over those distinctions? I, I, I kind of finished up the piece with two types of problems you could run into. One is is sort of the tactical command and control issue, which is why I brought up you know, the information warfare commander uh, position at sea. Um, this is you know an outgrowth of the composite warfare construct where you have a uh, a warfare commander who is given certain responsibilities, delegated certain responsibilities by the strike group commander in the informational domain to, to execute. Uh, and it is sort of in the same echelon as your traditional warfare commanders, uh, air, subsurface, and, and surface, and strike. <coughs> So I, you know, I, I suggest that if you if you're if you're not very careful with how you divide up those responsibilities, you could end up with problems with unity of command, that actually inhibit the strike group from reacting quickly to threats instead of doing what, you, what it's supposed to do, which is to empower the commander by um, taking care of of decisions that he that he you know, delegates the subordinates uh, and and doesn't have to get involved in. So a lot of what the strike group does sort of takes care it takes care of itself kind of below his level, so so that commander he or she can focus on the big picture. The second category of problem I think you might run into is, is longer term, uh, and it's in our communities when we change our nature and try to retool ourselves in the image of a restrict of an unrestricted line community. And and what that does is it 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 draws us away from concentrating on our core specialties, which is what I think the real role of restricted line communities in in, in naval warfare uh, are. Um, it makes us more likely to produce professionals who are mediocre at a lot of things instead of being excellent at a small set of things. And in that, I think you're forsaking an inherent advantage that the restricted line can bring to the net lethality of the force, where you have, again, the benefits of that division of labor. I think we're trying to play too many positions on the field at the same time. And I guess I'd also say that, you know, 24 years experience as a naval intelligence officer, it's a pretty broad set of, of competencies just to be a, a good intelligence officer. I mean, targeting, collection, uh, analysis, throw in human, throw in everything you have to know about the SIGINT trade. Um, there's already a pretty broad range of what we have to be good at. Um, and I, I, I think by trying to make ourselves more in the image of an unrestricted line where we're, we're aiming at things like tactical command, operational command, um, I think we're trying to cover too much ground. And that that's, that's basically the... Uh, the summary of the piece. Okay. Hey, thanks for summarizing. I think, I think you did a great job of, uh, of taking your piece down to a couple of minutes. So that was great. Um, Cliff, can you tell us, uh, you know, what, what's the thinking going on within the flag mess of the, you know, the, the information warfare community now in terms of coalescing these four disparate communities that are part of the community now? Uh, and, and where's it going? Like is Tony Butera, uh, is he representative of the thinking that, you know, this IWC, that that ought to be a path that eventually someday you'll have an IWC as as a strike group commander of a, of a carrier strike group? So I I think it's key, you know, to characterize our uh, flag officer community and the, and the IW community as in sync, um, as very collaborative. Um, I have a great perspective in this job of watching the you know, almost daily interaction of our five three stars and very much a collegial, um, there's debate, but it is always about, you know, where we're going forward as a community. 
Um, I think Tony's article um, was good. I think we're focused a little bit too much on the command at sea part of that. Uh, and I thought the title might have been a little bit unfortunate uh, the way it got edited. That wasn't the title when I read it as a draft. Um, so what I do know about our future is that, um, you know, the Navy uh, believes that information is the fourth warfare um, domain. The, the CNO just recently out at West um, made the comment that, hey, a lot of you guys grew up, you know, there is the surface, subsurface, and aviation communities, um, and they all had community leaders, warfare development centers, type commanders, and a process to pe- bring people in and make them surface warriors, aviators, you name it. There's a fourth pillar now. These are his words, not mine. Uh, and that's information warfare. And if you look at the structure of information warfare in the Navy, it has all of that same structure. Over the last 10 years, we've stood up a type commander. We have a three-star on, on the Navy staff that leads that integration. We have a three-star numbered fleet. Um, and we've aligned our CISCOM to that as the sa- in the same way we've stood up a development command, the same way that Naval Aviation Enterprise or Surface Warfare Enterprise are. We have created that in a, just a 10-year period. Um, we've created that structure to have information as a warfighting uh, domain in the United States Navy. So, one, that's, I think that in a nutshell is where the brain, you know, where the, where the thinking is on what we need to do for the Navy the uh, community piece, um, which really, I mean, it started with Admiral Clark. It was even pre-Admiral um, Ruffhead and Admiral Dorsett. This this idea that the information age was going to demand of us decision making and such a you know much more rapid um, you know uh, environment that we had to integrate things that were at those points customers of one another. And, um, and so, th- you know, every CNO since, uh, has supported this and has been asking us to go faster. Um, and every DNI since Admiral Dorset has been pushing or, or DCNO for information warfare, um, has been pushing us to go faster in integration, right? Um, my experience, so I can talk to the information warfare commander piece. I was the first, uh, board screened, uh, guy, you know, post major command guy in our community to go out there and do that. Um, I found uh, the integration was not a detractor to any one of those disciplines. Um, it, the integration was powerful. So when we started, you know, MeTOC would deliver the daily weather, which informed my intelligence, you know, the intelligence uh, folks on what the adversary was capable of, whether that was UAVs or, or what they could do on the seas, you know, would the seas support those actions or would, you know, the wind support uh, ISR? Um, it started out very much as a customer-producer uh, relationship. And by the end of deployment, it was very much partnership of, you know, the METOC officers thinking about what the intel officers needed and, and delivering that not once a day, but all day. Uh, this, is, this, this is new, and it impacts what we think the adversary can do today. Um, you know, also our, our METOC folks, you know, from the, from the seabed to space – Tell us, you know, what the uh, the sound propagation underwater is going to be like, which tells us from an intelligence perspective what the adversary can do 
right? Um, it also above the waterline is telling us what the radio frequency propagation is going to do, where we can be detected from a C4ISR perspective if we're trying to, 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 to be stealthy, or, and where we can detect from a cryptologic or electronic warfare, where we can detect the adversary, right? That propagation, and that shouldn't be a daily product. That needs to be an hourly, if not, you know, more frequent product. So we understand, um, both, uh, you know, red and blues uh, visibility in the spectrum. Um, which, which carrier strike group were you, the IWC? So I was for? on strike group two on George H.W. Bush. Uh, we deployed in January 2017. Uh, and Admiral Kenny Weitzel was my strike group commander. And I would welcome you to reach out to him on his thoughts on how this did, as well as He's my- He's another member of the Tomcat Mafia. <laughs> we were rag instructors together back yeah. in the mid As I understand it, at Strike Group 4, he still is talking about this, and that's how he's evaluating strike groups going through. I think, you know, human, the Harry uh, S. Truman uh, deployment just recently, I, I, we haven't talked to their, my boss is going to talk to their, you know, their strike group commander about how it went, but, but the initial readings of that is, is it went extremely well. Um, but I'm personal friends with, you know, Rob Woodslip, uh, who's the METOC officer that did the information warfare commander job. Uh, Mike Brooks, who's our first flag officer out of that group. Um, Russ Smith is another intel officer who's, uh, in the middle of his tour. Um, you know, Steve, uh, or Shep Shepard, uh, is another intel officer in the job. Uh, you know, that community's pretty tight too, because all of us are in the same boat, right? We're all having to learn each other's trade craft and lead for, you know, four, three of the four we, we are not as familiar with as the one we grew up in. So, um, I see it as a very positive thing. Uh, I think from our flag wardroom though, is that we believe that the Navy needs information warfare to fight in the 21st century. Um, and, uh, we got to figure out how to integrate that, right? In the age of hypersonic weapons and weapons that go over thousands of miles that, that, you know, aren't even within our sensor grid, we must integrate these disciplines. Uh, the last piece of that I didn't talk about the IP community is, you know, if you're going to do cyber intelligence, if you're going to look for indications of the adversary trying to attack you, which, you know, there's several adversaries out there who have not conducted kinetic without conducting non-kinetic first, right? Um, how are you going to see those indicators? Well, one of that is Sun Tzu knowing yourself, right? So our IP brothers, you know, our, our partners in, the, in that area can tell us what normal looks like and help us understand what our network, how our networks are configured, how our communications are configured so that we understand our footprint, right? We understand blue um, and use that from an intelligence perspective in that spy versus spy of can they see us? You know, it's the counter C4 ISRT uh, you know, versus C4 ISRT, right? That's kind of where we make our money afloat. So, so remind the audience what IP stands for. I'm sorry, in, in information professionals. So our communicators in the Navy, um, that are running our networks, defending our networks. Um, so what I saw in deployment was an integration of those disciplines that the sum was far greater, uh, than the individual parts. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that's what we recognize in, in the information age we have to do if we're going to get ahead of the, the speed required to make decisions in a hypersonic world. Okay. So uh, what you described was not, you know, what I heard you say was, was not any new, particularly new or interesting, um, you know, capabilities. It was more the integration that the sum is greater than the parts, right? The sum is greater than the, the, you know, the addition of the parts there at, and that in this role as the IWC, uh, that you took 
you know, the intelligence team and the cryptologic team and the electronic warfare team and the, the ITs and, uh, and the METOC team and, and brought them together in ways that, that enhanced the whole, right? H- how was the, can you talk to the, um, the relationship that you had with your fellow warfare commanders? So the strike warfare commander, the CAG, the, the Alpha Whiskey, et cetera. How, how, do, how was that? Uh, so that. I think that was that was easier than integrating the family, right? That was easier than than managing down. Um, so I was immediately welcomed. One, the carrier CO was the IWC before I got there. He was more than happy to give me those <laughs> those uh, responsibilities. First of all, he's running a nuclear plant, right? I mean, right. it's a big job. Yeah, uh, five thousand sailors is a big job. So he was more than thrilled. Skids Pennington was uh, the carrier CO. He was more than happy to turn over that with me. But then the Commodore and the and the cruiser CO, the air defense uh, coordinator or co- commander rather, um, and the CAG. They immediately treated me as a peer. They they welcomed having a, an 06 at the table that they could just turn to with all of their information problems, right? And there are plenty of information problems afloat. Uh, so um, I'm often asked the question, you know, so how, you know, running the communications piece on the Commodore's, you know, the, the ships belong to the Commodore, right? Or the carrier in the case of the series, you know, how did that work? And, um, I would describe it as one. They were thrilled to have somebody from our community that could reach into Spa War, that could reach into Nav I four, that could reach into the Information Warfare Enterprise and make things happen on behalf of the Strike Group. So they're more than happy for me to call on behalf of a destroyer, for example. We were transparent with what I was doing, so that it wasn't catching anybody. And that guard. capability didn't exist with the the previous. Well, um, b- I just before. don't think that uh, one. I don't think that the uh, carrier CEO has the bandwidth to do that. Okay. Right? Uh, to make that call. The second piece, though, was that, you know, 06s, one of the things that 06s are good at is not going to 07s to solve their problems, right? Mm-hmm. And so as a car- under the construct that we sailed under, if it was information, it was my problem. Uh, the, it elevated the OTC to literally be strategic, and he had four 06s to manage all of warfare. And, uh, and if we had a conflict, we solved at our level. We tried to solve it at the watch level so that it wasn't a, uh, a late evening, uh, phone call between me and the Commodore or me and the cruiser CO. But we solved the problems. We never once took it to the, to the 07 and said, you know, we want to be an MCON because, because we're, we're supposed to do a, a you know, a, a transit undetected, but we need to communicate. You know, the, the, we solved that at the 06 level, right? And if I needed, uh, Crudez to be, uh, with the carrier in restricted MCON, but I needed another one to be down the threat axis, um, lit off and giving us the picture. Um, that negotiation of which ship did what, uh, if we couldn't figure it out on the watch, then I called the Commodore on the VOSIP and we figured it out, right? But we never once went to the boss and said, you need to do the integration. And I would suggest that, you know, prior to that, you know, you got the N39 saying we need to turn everything off. You got the N6 saying we need to leave everything on. And the Intel officer saying, why are we training the adversary? Um, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, you force the 07 to be the adjudicator of those disciplines instead of having a warfare commander say, this is our recommended course of action across all your warfare commanders. And he can command by negation. Right. And we did that in the entire the entire seven month deployment. Uh, and I think Admiral Weitzel would tell you that that worked exactly as, as he would have wanted it to. All right. uh, I'd like to pick up on something that Henry had pointed out earlier about the fact that, you know, each one of the subsets of the IW community has a deep expertise. So what's your sense, if I'm a lieutenant who's a MeTOC officer and I'm a 
good one. Do I have to sort of broaden my horizons along the way now in a way that I didn't heretofore in order to get to your position? Yeah. No, I, I, w- there's n- none of us, none of our senior officers are, uh, in the flag ward room are talking about watering down the technical prowess of our disciplines. Uh, and I would say to a METOC officer, you know, through 05, you better be a good METOC officer. Um, uh, same with, you know, cryptology. Uh, Admiral White just had a, a session uh, two weeks ago, last yeah, last week, to try and revitalize, you know, revitalize tactical cryptology. You know, we've we've lost some we've lost some some depth there, uh, and we need to to refine that. Um, so we are still, I mean, we're still focused on how to do that. But I would say that we're focused on how do we use data format? How do we how do we share what's the metadata of what's hitting our sensors in a way that allows the machines to help us? Right, because the internet is growing so fast, the amount of information available to us and our adversaries uh, is so vast that we need to figure out how to elevate the humans to the next level of analysis, right? And use that, and and we're working that through, you know, naval intelligence activity and and ONI. We're doing some amazing things with machine learning uh, that uh, that we got to do. We we can't keep up without doing. So I, I think the the concept is is that just like in the aviation community. You know, learn your your air platform and be the best Growler pilot or the best Romeo pilot or the best E2D pilot through command, 05 command. Um, but then each of those can compete to be a CAG, right? And we've had each of those, uh, you know, specialties as CAGs. And at that point, they transition to being an aviation warfighting, you know, strike warfare commander kind of piece. So I think it's very parallel. Um, I still think there are jobs... Um, that require us to rely on that expertise at the even at the one star level, right? I, I can't necessarily send uh, a, a communicator to go be a J two. Um, that's never going to change. The resume won't support it. The joint commander is not going to pick somebody that doesn't have the resume to do that job. So, uh, you know, it's not a one or a zero here. It's a you know, it's somewhere in the middle. And um, the idea is not to water down our technical proficiency in our designators, it's just the opposite. Um, and then at the 06 level, to be able to bring that enterprise together um, and and represent it as, as, you know, kind of one designator at the 06 level, I think that's powerful. Henry, what do you, what do you think? So there's a lot to, there's a lot to respond to there. Um, it, it's certainly, you know, a, a reasonable case that, that's presented here. Um, I mean, the first thing I'd say is that the people that we're putting in these positions are absolutely fantastic officers. And, you know, whether it's cross detailing between the disciplines or whether it's having folks take this IWC uh, at C role, uh, they're, they're going to succeed. And, and they're going to be appreciated by the, by the strike groups because the, I concede the strike groups absolutely do need a senior expert who's focused on this stuff and is smart in it to be, you know, at the table. Um, it, but there's, there's different capacities in which you could be at the table. And so I think it's a, it's a, it still remains to be, to be seen is are we, should, should our target for this senior person be a warfare commander, which has a very specific type of responsibility within the CWC con, concept? Or, or could we aim for something a little less ambitious, which is an, a senior officer who doesn't have an N2, N6 hat with, you know, responsibilities over all of these different types of functions in the strike group? is sort of narrowly focused on what, what Cliff said, you know, sort of the, the, the signature management 
uh, counter ISRT type focus and is, is, is kind of more focused on providing recommendations to the strike group commander and to the warfare commanders, driving planning on these issues, um, kind of supervising the, the training on proficiency of these issues. You know, implementing MCON is not a trivial task uh, and so forth. I think you can do that without having to retool our communities to produce senior 06 warfare commanders. Um, th- again, the downside is that I, I know that a lot of seniors certainly are not, you know, would prefer not to accept us diluting our specialties. I mean, it, it's a disadvantage of, of sort of the path we have here. Um, and it's, it's, it's great to, to hear there's recognition that it is a downside that we want to avoid, but it, it's inevitable. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to have folks that are combined into this composite IW community, it takes away training time. It puts pressure on training syllabi. It puts pressure on assignments. I mean, every, every, you know, assignment that an intelligence officer spends doing something besides intelligence is probably a glancing blow on their um, ability to develop, you know, that, that greater level of expertise that supports the fleet. And again, I say this as someone who, uh, having spent a career doing this, I'm still wanting of assignments I never had a chance to get in order to fill in my expertise just to do, you know, an N2J2 job, uh, you know, I think competently. Um, so, you know, Cliff mentioned the, the issue of <clears throat> the synergy that comes from integrating these IW uh, communities together in the strike group. Um, I, I, I kind of question that because in, in my experience, in you know, my strike group tours, Intel, Cryptology, Metoc, the IPs were all doing fantastic. They're all doing great. But the most important relationships that they had was not with each other, but it was with the, the commanders and the functions that they support. So there, there was a strike group that came through um, Fifth Fleet and was, you know, they, they were executing what, what they thought was a direction from the community on, on making this IW concept happen at sea. And I'm not sure if they went through with it, but the, the plan at a certain point was to literally create a space where the N2, instead of sitting with his CRC and his assistant N2 in the Intel space, would be sitting with the information warfare commander, essentially an N2, N6. The METOC officer, instead of being in the ops shack to provide a forecast to folks doing, you know, future plans or future operations, you know, bring that bring them into that same space. Same thing with your with your your N6 type, your communicator. And so, you know, as we know, with this IWC thing is is largely a reorganization, starting with the IWC. And as we know, reorganizations never get rid of seams. They just choose where your seams are. And so OpNav N2 N6 is probably okay. It's probably fine in the administrative realm of programmatics, budget, advocating for capabilities, although we, we might have some exceptions with that. <clears throat> But the, the problem comes when it imposes its image on the operational force. I, I would say that, let, let, take the analogy of a sports team. If, if, I, if, I put to, if I put together a bunch of infielders with a bunch of outfielders and a pitcher and a catcher, I get a baseball team. If I put together an Intel guy, uh, you know, a METOC gal, and an IP officer in the same space, what I get is an Intel guy, a METOC <laughs> officer, and, an IP, and, and so forth. The IW functions do not coalesce into a higher level of functionality by being put together. I think it's more important for each Intel entity within a strike group. Sure, they're coordinating across, you know, lanes 
under the direction of the N2. But what's really important is that they're working for their commanders and they're supporting their commanders. I'd say the same thing is true with your information professionals in a strike group. Um, the so, the MeTech officers, as important as it is for, you know, as, as useful as it could be for, you know, your IW cadre to be familiar with the underwater acoustic prediction, it's much more important that the anti-submarine warfare commander knows that. As important as it is to know what the RF propagation characteristics of are, uh, you know, it's great that the IWC is tracking that. Much more important that the air warfare commander understands the radar propagation characteristics. Um, and so, uh, again, I, th I think to a certain extent, when we impose this N2N6 construct in the operational force, we're, we're creating sort of a so-called self-licking ice cream cone uh, that is bringing capability into itself when it should be focusing on putting capability out to the, to the, com to the operational commanders that we support. So, so you led one of these teams, Cliff. Yeah. Um, so how do you answer that? I mean, uh, I, I think those are, uh, that's just not my experience is, is what we had. And of course, you know, I wasn't there to support me. I was there to support the fight, the, the boss's fight, the boss's priorities. Um, what I, and I, you know, the, like I said, there were four horsemen, right? There were four O6s fighting strike group two. And, um, Amongst us, we were accountable for all of it. And so, yes, I have a supporting relationship with the Commodore to make sure that he understands, you know, the ASW piece and the propagation coming out of our METOC team that's doing the underwater piece. Yes, I have a responsibility to the air defense coordinator on what the RF propagation is above the water. But I also need that myself for our collection uh, perspective. I also need that from a counter C4SR perspective. Um, I just... Um, I fundamentally, you know, it just wasn't my experience. I think we're perhaps uh, looking too tactically at how to implement FICE, um, leaving it to leaders to figure out how to integrate. And that was really my charge. My only, my only guidance from Admiral Kohler as I went out there was, hey, integrate our four disciplines and let me know what you need, you know, that you don't have. Um, and so, I, so is all of this transparent to me if I'm like a squadron strike lead is 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 the reorg do i still have the same access to mission planning and intel fusion as i ever did or is it better or am i going through another layer of of administrative that i didn't have before i mean how does that play out i think that's a that's a great point um so i can speak to the iw commanders that were in the seat you know six months ago um, and i can tell you we were in sync on this one um, and that is the purpose of the IW development, you know, the Information Warfighting Development Center is to standardize how we approach this across all of the strike groups, right? Just like in aviation, the TTP for what you do with an SA-20 pops off is the same in a, in a Japan-based aircraft as it is in a Norfolk because their TTP are standard across uh, their enterprise for each platform. That's what we're trying to do amongst these staffs is make it standard. Um, and if I have a best practice on this deployment, that that becomes the standard, not just a one-off. Um, but one of the key tenets of this is that um, I never put, I never got in between the N2 and the Admiral. I never got in between the METOC officer and the Admiral, right? I never got in between the staff cryptologist and the Admiral, even though I'm a career cryptologist with a lot of experience. One, I didn't want to cheat them out of their milestone tour. Uh, but two, they're the technical experts, right? And so why would I talk to, you know, why would I talk to a general practitioner about a dental issue? You know, I mean, give me the dentist. Uh, so 
there's no way I was going to get in between those specialists and the admiral. That being said, they usually drug me with them, or if they didn't drug me, drag me with them, they circled back to give me what happened. And my rule was go direct to him. I don't, I don't need to be in the way. Um, same, same with the, uh, you know, the CAG support out of targeting, uh, or the Commodore support out of what we were doing for, with the NOAC that they're the, uh, the undersea folks that were doing the modeling, uh, for him out of SINMOP. That being said, uh, if you look at the line diagram for each of those four specialists in information warfare, METOC, IP, etc., to the other three warfare commanders, you got 12 relationships, right? Now we had just four, four 06s, right? Relationship prioritization and effort became an 06 to 06 thing. All of that good quality technical work being done to deliver on intelligence or deliver on METOC was still being led by those milestone officers. Um, it just put an 06 in the mix, not as a bottleneck, but as a problem solver, as a prioritization guy. And, uh, and you know, I, w- I would suggest that you talk to some of the guys that have done the into job under the new construct. I mean, let's just open that to, you know, up and say, hey, did you feel like you were restricted from talking to the boss? Um, you know, I, I, I don't think either of my into off, uh, intelligence officers would say that because it would be false. And, and I think they would tell you they had just as much access. If anything, they had an 06 to take care of things that they couldn't solve. Got right? it. Yep. So um, in your opening remarks, you both made comments that I think are somewhat diametrically opposed and so this is you know gets to some of the uh you know the, the meat of this issue intellectually at least right so uh cliff you said you know hey going back to admiral clark multiple cnos now have said information is a pillar of warfare uh, it is something that we've got to be good at as a navy uh, and information you know all kinds of information and not not just the information but the, the systems that it resides on and how we fight the enemy's information systems etc right and, and and in your paper Henry you said the salient issue is not whether IW matches the importance or cachet of air surface or submarine warfare but whether IW matches the nature of those warfare areas enough to treat it identically so these are almost like we're arguing past each other in some ways right yeah the, the this gets i think to to get at this you 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 have to take a little time to think about <clears throat> how we constitute our line so to speak in the navy like what is what is the collection of capabilities that we put together to impose effects on the enemy you know if we were in the army we'd be talking about armor infantry artillery we're in the navy we're talking about ships submarines aircraft um and and you have to think about how the mechanisms of command vice the mechanisms of staff work in that construct. So I, at the risk of getting a little bit into the weeds here, because um, I don't want this to come across as, a, as an as an esoteric point. I, th- I think it really ends up, it takes a while to get to it, but I think it has some important uh, consequences. Um, the units I put in my line, if I'm a you know a strike group or fleet commander, I put my ships, my aircraft, used to be submarines in the old days, right? Th- these are, these are, these are capabilities whose purpose is to have an effect on the, on the adversary. Um, those forces um, are led by commanders using the mechanism of command, and you can aggregate those forces. You can put them together to, into higher-level uh, task force units that have different missions that are also led by a commander. Um, when, you, 
when you aggregate those forces, okay, you'll you'll you, they come to the fight as air, subsurface, or surface, and so they're led by uh, you know someone who's an expert in that warfare area. When you aggregate them in the mixed force types, then you have to have one commander in charge of those mixed formations, and that creates an imperative for the unrestricted line communities to have competence to command all those all those force types. And again, so basically, you've got specific multi you get multi-mission platforms that come together to execute you know whatever mission that task force is assigned um so we we define those force types by what makes them different you know there's a differences between the people and the skill sets we need to operate ships aircraft submarines and so forth um but there's also things that those those all those force types have in common they all need personnel they all need supplies um so where do the if, if you look at the intel or um, the, the information centric capabilities where do they fit into that are, are they a force type whose purpose is to have an effect in the adversary that has a commander that is part of the line that seems to be what the community is, is heading towards now in, across the dot mlpf my, my argument is that most of the information centric capabilities are more like those horizontal supports they run across all force types Every unit, whether it's a ship, aircraft, submarine, etc., it needs intelligence. It needs communications. Uh, it, it needs to, to have a pretty good weather forecast, etc. And so those common capabilities are most efficiently led by staff officers under the, under the mechanism of staff, vice the mechanism of command. And there's, a, there's another important difference. As you, as you aggregate forces up echelon, you're those information-centric functions don't come together into, again, higher-level formations. You have a higher-level N6 or an N2 or, or, or whatever the case may be um, who supports the commander at that very level. But you, you don't have – there's no warfighting-driven reason to create generalists with cross-information warfare competence. You, you can still succeed no matter how high up the chain you have with specialists who are – focused on intel, focused on meteorology, oceanography, focused on communications and IT, um, et cetera. So, you know, I know that was a little bit long-winded, but I, I think you have to go through that kind of sorting out to understand why the, the, the trajectory you're on, which seems to be based uh, on the contention that the more we treat IW like the other warfare areas, the better. Why I just think that's not accurate. It, it's not true to the way that these capabilities actually fit into into naval warfighting. Cliff, we're running out of time. Final thought? Uh, I think that's an industrial age uh, argument, and I think you're absolutely right. Ten years ago, fifteen years ago, um, I think you're out of alignment with how every CNO since Clark has thought about this, um, and and our leaders. I mean, I can give you quote after quote of, you know, Admiral Sharp, Admiral Kohler. Well, that's um, why I'm here. I mean, yeah. I, I agree. So, so I, I would, uh, you know, I would invite you to engage those. I, I think, you know, some other voices that are intel officers in this in this arena, besides Admiral Kohler, Admiral Sharp, Rear Admiral Ashback, uh, about to be O&I, um, Rear Admiral Brooks, uh, about to go take a J-2 job, Rear Admiral Slek Vernaza, who's... Uh, uh, Chief of Staff at Tenth Fleet, Russ Smith, Shep, Shepard. I think you. I think you should talk to them about where they see this going. I would say that. Um, well, first you, they write for us, and then we talk to them. Well, That's how it goes. Um, 
Uh, all you of know, you, all of you that were just mentioned are welcome in the open yeah, forum. Welcome yes. to write. Welcome to comment and discussion. Welcome to, you know, yeah, we, we'd love to have you. Yeah, I think, you know, let me close with, with the CNO comment. And, uh, and, and, you know, he wrote about this, um, last summer, but it resonates. But the, the key quote is the character of the game has changed. And it was on the heels of talking about, you know, the ubiquity of cube slat, cube sats and the availability of ocean monitoring that is, you just buy it now. That's integrated with AIS, if you like. Um, and the zettabytes of information available on the internet, you know, I mean, I can give you statistic after statistic of how fast this is growing, how vast it's growing. Um, you know, I remember I was CAG ops, a gig was a big number. Right. Right. At right. JWAC, like, hey, we have these silly Gs, they have a gig. So <laughs> no, my, my iPhone's a 256G, and we are adding 273 of them per second to the internet. Right. The number of apps has gone from 170,000 in 2010 to 6.6 million today. It's doubling every 16 months. Our adversaries are using those apps. Right. We, we, the game has changed. And so we can't organize like we did in the industrial age. OpNav's got some, some changing to do. We're optimized to bend metal. We got to think about data format and how we integrate so that every sensor is communicating with one another in machine to machine language, right? And that's the discussion going on between N2, N6, and N9 today on a weekly basis. Our flags are getting together to figure out how do we do this for the information age. And so I, I'm not disputing, you know, the argument. I think, Henry, you know, your, your points are valid and, and we have to protect our rich intelligence heritage, our rich cryptologic heritage. We have to protect that technical proficiency, but the world is different um, than it was when I was a young officer. Um, well, this was a, a fascinating discussion. I mean, really, and, and I think it just uh, represents the, the open forum at its best, you know. We've got two opposing sides here, a very professional discussion. We had uh, two uh, proceedings articles that we published that stirred up some of this discussion, stirred up some of the uh, you know, energy within the community. And then we were able to get both sides here for the podcast. So I thank you both for taking your time today to join us. So again, our guests, uh, Captain Henry Stevenson, the J at U.S. Transportation, J2 at uh, U.S. Transportation Command out in Illinois, and Captain Cliff Bean, the uh, former Information Warfare Commander of the uh, of CSG2 and the George H.W. Bush Strike Group. First time, for the first officer to... Uh, to have that job as an 06 uh, warfare commander at sea. So, uh, and now the EA to um, uh, Admiral Kohler, Vice Admiral Kohler, the OPNAV N2N6. So, uh, thank you both for being here today. And uh, just remember, everybody, victory begins at the Naval Institute. See you next week. Roger that. Thanks. Thanks.